Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Beyond Disabilities. This time we're looking at dyspraxia and I'm joined by my brilliant guest today, Rosemary. Rosemary is a writer, editor, public speaker, specialising in disability and neurodiversity related subject matter. And she is the author of Stumbling Through Space and Time, Living Life with Dyspraxia. Rosemary is also her writing has also been featured in Travel and Leisure, Broken Pencil Magazine, Hapform Magazine, and a long list of other websites. So thank you for coming on to the podcast, Rosemary. Please can you introduce yourself. Yeah, uh, currently I'm I'm a Canadian, as many can hear by my accent, but I'm based over in Morocco right now. So basically, as the bio said, my life is divided between uh writing books, writing articles, working with corporate clients, that kind of thing on uh, getting the tone of uh, disability-related resources just right. No, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on on the podcast. Uh, So could you describe what is dyspraxia to you and how does it affect you on a daily basis? Yeah, so dyspraxia is a coordination condition. It's about the coordination of movement and that process your brain goes through when you uh, coordinate everything from riding a bike to tying your shoelaces to even uh, moving through an environment and understanding what going right or left means or what being in a crowd might mean for where you need to move and where you need to go and things like that. I completely relate with that. I've got dyspraxia as well and that is a whole makes life more interesting, especially simplest of things like walking down the street or something or walking in a straight line. Definitely but, but, yeah, make, yeah, makes life a bit varied. So can you explain when you were you first diagnosed and the process of how you were diagnosed? It's be interesting to hear the difference between in Canada and like the UK where I am. Yeah, honestly, it was pretty similar from what I've heard from many of my British friends. I was diagnosed at the age of four. And uh, the thing was, there wasn't really a lot of resources around at the time. It was the mid-90s. And the only reason I was able to get a diagnosis was because um, many of the practitioners around that diagnosed me had a very progressive look at uh, neurodiversity that was a little ahead of their time. And uh, my dad was hadn't been in Canada for very long. He's originally from Oxford. So... um, he was he also fortunately started to have access to some resources from the dyspraxia foundation and that enabled the process really of going through the gp to um a psychologist that looked at it and then to further along the process with occupational therapists and things like that Ah, oh, that's brilliant yeah it doesn't sound too different from the uk then and oxford is a lovely place to be part of the uk and uh, yeah, it's similar age. It seems to have got worse as the years gone on. Like I know I was diagnosed at two years old, and I know from friends who were either waiting diagnosed or weren't diagnosed till they were in their twenties or teenage years. That certainly seems to be uh, a big delay for some reason. I don't know what, but especially in females, I think as well, they find it get more get it's more difficult for them to get a diagnosis uh, from like the female friends I've been speaking to have dyspraxia. So what were your family's reactions and emotions uh, when you were first diagnosed? Uh, my parents were honestly pretty supportive for the most part. Um, but 
They're very neurotypical um, non-disabled people. So I think the real adjustment was figuring out how to think in a different way and how to adjust to someone who thinks in a different way. Um, they were extraordinary advocates where they didn't let anyone make thing, any sort of decisions that were it weren't in my best interest. But I, at the same time, I think there was a bit of a mindset adjustment to understand on their end, which is perfectly acceptable from what I've heard from talking parents too. That's that's pretty normal. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It's sort of a learn you know, what works for the child or what, what works for yourself. Uh, it's good to not hear that your parents were so like ahead of their times or advocating and they had your best interests at heart. Similar similar to my mum, like she had to battle a lot of things and against like some local council decisions and school to get support in place uh it doesn't it shouldn't have to be a battle but it was so i'm uh, glad, glad that it was good for you and that you managed to get all the support you you need and do you think that uh that is hard for women to get diagnosed and if so why do you think that is oh yeah it absolutely is because uh women there's sort of a strange societal thing especially around um, all the sort of pop culture, like many Pixie Dream Girl stuff. Yeah. That means that so many of the traits can simply be dismissed as uh, someone being a little quirky or a little clumsy or something like that. And I think, especially as I got older, I found that more and more where um, because I didn't really fit a really typical type of disabled or really because I I tried very hard to get involved in running and physical activity and things like that. Um, it was hard to sort of battle against societal norms of uh, what needing support looks like. I'm sorry to hear that you had that battle, but I do understand what you mean. Like I Again, I relate that I tried hard to get into sort of like physical activity, even like going to the gym or something like personally, like it's a, it's very hard and just people, do, you see people going like really fast on a treadmill or something and then they just sort of get your canvas look down at you and they don't understand that, oh, I've got a hidden disability, I've got dyspraxia, I need to take more time, I can't just go run a marathon <laughs> as much as it would be a great achievement to do, I wouldn't be able to do that. Awesome. Yeah, it takes extra time. It takes an ex a different approach. Even um, for myself behind the scenes, there were things that were much more specific to women, like uh, physical appearance and figuring out, like, even did I feel comfortable in makeup? Did I feel comfortable in different clothing, hygiene and things that um, I think quietly I was struggling with behind the scenes, but were took some time for me and it, I am, it meant socially I couldn't just make it a public thing. Yeah, no, it's those sort of things that, that people don't think about, is it? It's like they just take it for granted. Like, I know I can't really like comment because I'm, I'm, I'm a man that don't wear makeup, but, uh, you know, like other like women just don't think about like, oh, you might find it difficult wearing makeup. It might be difficult at wearing certain sort of types of clothes or shoes or things like that and that they might need extra support it's all it's just there's no real support I think on that side of things and even like for me personally like 
processing information as well, like a commentator of dispatcher, I think, as well. Like I tend not across the board, but uh, I tend to take longer to process information. It takes me a bit, uh, even if it's a few more seconds or things that people just don't really think of. They just think, oh, you're a bit slow. And that's not the case at all. Just need more time to process it and come out um, uh, with whatever action or result need. Yeah. And I I think that can be the hard part because socially people are seeing sort of a narrow window of things. And I I found that uh, it was very extraordinary for me even to get a sunflower lanyard finally, because because uh, I really have found that even when I travel or things yeah. like that, that uh, I I would be misunderstood as shouting at someone or something like yeah. that when really I was just struggling to figure out how to understand something is over there or yeah. something like that. I'm sorry how difficult to get in a like, sunflower land. You know, like over here, it's sort of become easier because I know it's, I think the scheme started out of here, but uh, sort of like the more discreet about it now. So for example, some rail tra- train stations over here, they hand out the lanyards and, and things. They don't ask for any proof, but they just like do it on good faith, if you like. And same with some supermarkets have started it. So it's a shame. Fingers crossed, hopefully it becomes easier in the future. And like, especially with the shouting thing, I, I agree that some people would, I can either be really loud, but not intentionally trying to like shout or be really quiet. So I don't have yeah. that on the ground. Yeah, it, it, it came to Canada fairly recently. It came um, during COVID. Oh, and wow. it's it's only really started to spread to some other countries too. And that's been really extraordinary for me as someone also who is part of my lifestyle, travels around a lot. What's it like? Uh, I know this wasn't on the list of questions, but what's it like? You said you're in Morocco at the moment. Ed, do you notice a difference between Canada and Morocco in their uh, attitude to hidden disabilities at all? Yeah, it's quite significant. Um, it's important to remember that uh, you're looking at uh, two di- different types of countries yeah. um, completely. And uh, I think that honestly, even though... Um, some of the services and support isn't here yet in like a formal sense. I think that there's a very real attempt to just to help people if you need help. And, and there's less of a question than what you deserve and what you don't deserve. So I find that very comfortable and that very much makes up for the fact that the awareness isn't here so much yet. Oh, that's really nice. It's good to hear that that even though the awareness isn't there and formally the sport's not there, it's good to know that sort of as a society over there, sorry, that uh, lost my train, that the society over there that they are supportive and that like, will help you out if you do need it. Yeah, and there isn't really any questions asked. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I freelance. So um, most of what I'm looking at from a professional point of view is more through like a UK, US, Canada bubble anyways. Yeah, I know. Recently, uh, I recently went to the US for the first time. uh, And honestly, I, I was surprised in a good way that how sort of helpful like staff at the airport or for example with my hidden disabilities lanyard asking me for if i needed any help and things like that it's really good because uh, 
didn't realize it was that widespread over there in the, in the states so it's really yeah they're really trying i remember my uh my mother was in washington recently and she took a picture of uh dulles airport and yeah. there was a very prominent picture of the lanyard and that was good wow. bit of news to see because last time i was there was quite a few years ago and yeah. I found it very overwhelming to be amongst sort of the hectic crowds of it all. I can imagine airports are very busy places and that you just need that extra support to see the like a separate like quiet room or I know with the airline I went on, they had sort of separate boarding for people with disabilities and they didn't sort of question saying, oh, just for people with physical disabilities, it's very inclusive of all uh, hidden disabilities as well. So it's really nice to see. Yeah. So please can you tell me if your dyspraxia, has it had any impact on any friendships or relationships? And if so, if you had to make any adjustments to either your behaviour or another person's behaviour to support uh, with yourself with your disability? Yeah, I, it was more early on in my life because I didn't really openly disclose until like my late 20s when I started yeah. to meet other dyspraxics. Um, and I think... When I met my spouse, it was really um, socially, it was a real important moment for me where uh, that was really the first time where I felt comfortable to just be yeah. quite vulnerable about what I could do and what I couldn't do. And from there, re really, I started to feel much more comfortable and open. I think that made my relationships better. But prior to that, there was plenty of bullying. There was plenty of stuff like that that made it really hard to speak up. So it's changed significantly. Oh, I'm really sorry you went through bullying. Like I, until recently, I uh, had a similar thing like with bullying and people sort of taking advantage and, and being whole because of disabilities. But glad like your 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 partner, your spouse has uh, been really accommodated as well. I think recently, like personally, I've only in the last few years, I've really found friends that have really sort of accepted me for me and are willing to make accommodations and things like that. So that's uh, good to hear. Yeah, it's really something I hear in the community a lot, and and I always try to give people as much hope as I can that they can find people that accept them for who they are. Absolutely, that's a, such a brilliant thing because it does get better. Like we're both both proof of it. Like it just takes time. It's about like trying to uh, get through the hard times and sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. So you've written a brilliant book called Stumbling Through Space and Time, Living with Dyspraxia. Please could you tell me, how did the idea for the book come about? And could you describe uh, what's inside it? Yeah, so it was something I thought about for years. Um, it was really a lot of things, conversations and stories I had to repeat over and over again of how dyspraxia affected my life and things that were showing up in journal entries and conversations yeah. with people. So I really took a broad range of subjects from relationships to travel to my experiences professionally uh, in order to condense it into very simple, easy to understand stories that help people see what a dyspraxic mind can look like and um, how you can navigate the world. Oh, that sounds brilliant. It's sort of like a dyspraxia survival guide then <laughs> yeah using more stories from my own life and random research i found uh from being part of the community being part of events being 
figuring out what people were worried about, what they wanted to see more of in terms of their friends, their family, their peers. I think it's a brilliant book. And I, when I was growing up, certainly over here, there wasn't any sort of support books or books based off of people's experience to just help sort of felt very isolated growing up uh, in that. Uh, it wasn't until, say for me over here, it wasn't until probably 2012, I think when we had the Olympics over in the UK that there was a show over here called The Last Leg, which is sort of a panel show, but it's, uh, it's a comedy panel show, but uh, two out of the three uh, presenters, uh, they both got disabilities. So it's the first time it's sort of publicly shown, even with the Paralympics, I think that year there was something special. So for me, like it wasn't until then I was really properly comfortable with my disabilities. And now I'm similar to with your book, that's one of the reasons why I want to do the podcast, sort of give hope, help people, talk to amazing people like yourself and sort of spread awareness and uh, give confidence, hopefully, to people with disabilities. So what challenges do you currently face at all, like during your uh, day-to-day life, if you have any, with the disability? Yeah, yeah really, it's about the fact that um, really I'm not used to being around much awareness, really. Yeah. So it's more about finding the words yeah. to say when I come across uh, challenges, whether it be in... Uh, like a call with a client or it'd be like I'm just trying to get from point A to B and the instructions are just not quite going through my head it's more about those little moments where um I can't find the words to say it and I'm stressed out and I can't say the words that I think nowadays most of the challenges are and I I always find I have to really check myself and breathe through it and figure out like, okay, how can I just get through this and solve this and find coherent language to say that, say this, which people are always surprised by because I've written about it. I've like talked about it publicly, but really when you're in the moment and you're stressed out about it, it gets so hard to put the words together. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean completely. That is different. Like you can write, but then when you're writing, you have time to, uh, if you're on the computer, you have time to sort of think what you're going to say, you have that time to process it and for thoughts to come to your brain into your hands. And if you want to like type it out and, but you're right in the moment in a conversation, it's quite hard like, for someone with dyspraxia to be sort sort. I'm going to say spontaneous because I can't think of another word, but yeah, sort of try to react there. And then like we do need extra couple of minutes, which I think society is slowly changing and becoming more accepting, but I think more work needs to be done on that front and understand that we process and like information and thoughts at different times. So we can't just be like bang, 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 <laughs> just like really quick and think of our feet. Yeah. And there's that freezing thing. My mother always so coherently described it as uh, there's that that element of mentally sometimes you can just freeze and sometimes that can be really hard to work around i know it's really it, it stresses me out as well like you just get a mental block and it just everything just well for me anyway it just goes out of my mind and it takes me a couple of minutes to think what i was thinking of yeah that's people always wonder about the title and honestly that's where that came from i i feel like i spend most of my life 
stumbling through space and time. And it was something I thought about in the moment because I was like, well, in very few words, if I just had to say two or three, yeah. <laughs> that's, so that's what I'd come up with. It's a brilliant, brilliant title. Like I'm I'm a proper sci-fi nerd, so I, I love any sci-fi references. That's why I'm wearing Doctor Who hoodie at the moment. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's one that comes up a lot. <laughs> so how did your public speaking work start? And second part of that question, have you ever been discriminated at any work or any events that you've talked at because of your dyspraxia at all? Yeah, it really it's something that in more recent years has started to coincide with my writing work. It comes from writing about the subject matter. It's very much a very contemporary author thing where you yeah. you write a certain amount of articles about it, you write a book about it and everyone and people start to invite you to their events and things like that. So it really just happened through writing a lot and people just inviting me. Yeah. And now the two worlds are basically part of each other. And um so it's become an occasional part of my life, which is amazing. I think oh, a former former me wouldn't have predicted it because I was such a shy kid. And I wasn't like a conventionally good speaker, but um, something about the subject matter yeah. uh, kind of makes me very powerful and thoughtful and get the words out there, which is which is cool. And yeah. uh, in terms of discrimination, I think um, I wrote about this for the Lead UK not too long ago. Um, what a lot of disabled writers in general, I find, have to be really careful about is people's intentions for wanting uh, lived experience perspectives. Yeah. Like some people can be very exploitive and some people can want a whole inspiration. I don't know if I can swear at all of this podcast. Yeah, you can. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> inspiration bullshit take. And uh, yeah. yeah. And, and they want you to be some larger than life. Like I fell over but I still persevered story. Yes. So a lot of the discrimination is just more from people having the wrong intentions or uh, not feeling that they having to fight an invoice or something like that. It's the not so glamorous side that I feel not a lot of people talk about. Yeah, well, I'm sorry to hear you've been through that discrimination, but it, it is rife. And uh, unfortunately, you're, you're right. They, they want even though you've lived the experience they do some people do want a certain like story like you said that they just from their angle <laughs> to make them yeah look good, to make them look good but yeah you're doing brilliantly now like you're you're a writer you're a public speaker like i take my hat off to you like i've got a lot of respect for you you're doing amazing things and like spreading lots of awareness it's brilliant which brings me yeah. on to what would you say are your proudest moments and your biggest achievements? Oh, proudest moments. Um, the first time I spoke in front of a, a corporate audience was quite extraordinary to me because I've always been completely ignored by that sort of world. And to hear people like being quiet and listening to what I have to say for a few minutes was really an eye-opening and feeling like I was turning a corner yeah. moment. And and that one to me really sort of sticks out. Um, 
the first time I ever do, did that just happened to be right before Christmas. So, oh, wow. That's really recent. Yeah. Well done. Well, not this Christmas. It was quite a few. Uh, it was like two Christmases ago. And yeah, and yeah it, it was, I had always been dismissed by that world. And just to hear yeah. people like taking my perspective seriously made me feel like I'd really turned a corner on being heard and understood by a group that previously dismissed me uh, in previous years and wouldn't hire me in previous years. Oh, that was a really massive achievement. Like you definitely flipped the tables there from, like you said, a lot of companies and uh, aren't very inclusive. And then to actually have someone like yourself who's got lived experiences and then they're all listening to you, like that's a massive achievement and you should be proud of yourself. That's brilliant. Yeah. So the final question is, what are your wishes for the future and what would you like to achieve? It's a three-part question. So what are your wishes for the future? What would you like to achieve? And do you think anything needs to change to help support you uh, and other people with disabilities? Oh, better representation. I'm I'm always cheering on the community, always, always wanting to see more dyspraxic children's books, more people speaking at events, more things like that. And the best we can do is really just uh, check our intentions and reasoning for supporting people and uh, pay people fairly and reasonably and be clear about our expectations. And that's how we start to get better representation and get more people of more backgrounds into these spaces. No, I think they're all brilliant, brilliant like, wishes for the future. And I completely agree uh, with all of them. Like It's slowly changing, but still a lot of inequality out there and uh, still a lot of, uh, like you said, that it would be brilliant to see more people like yourself, like children's books about dyspraxia would be brilliant. Like you definitely deserve to win an award like, for your book. I think it's fantastic. So where can like, the listeners, if they want to like follow your story or buy, buy your book, where can they find you? Uh, all the major platforms, Amazon uh, in the UK, I know I'm at the major bookstores. Uh, you can order through online through the major bookstores, Waterstones, um, WH Miss, stuff like that. Uh, but I also encourage you to support indie. There's lots of extraordinary indies that can use the support. Bookshop.org is a great way to do that, to figure out where locally works for you. And uh, also the JKP uh store if you want to support the publisher directly oh that's brilliant well that's come to the end of this episode of beyond disabilities like to say a huge thank you to rosemary for joining me on today's podcast it's been really interesting talking to you and you've been a fantastic guest uh yeah so i hope to see you hope you have a good rest of your day and i hope you have a good uh yeah stay tuned for more episodes